There's just something about food, isn't there? Uh, you ever noticed something, seen something like really, really good? Maybe you're walking through a bakery or you just happen to find yourself at uh, Traverse Pie Company and you see those cases of those pies and you say, that looks really tempting. You, you know what I'm saying? You've you been there? Just help me out here. Um, only a few of you. Interesting. Um, I... We are in the midst right now, uh, once again this year, uh, in our staff, a biggest loser challenge. Uh, in this case, to be a loser is a good thing because we're trying to lose weight. Uh, I think at, at last count this week on Wednesday, we are down, I believe, 178 pounds. So we are now missing officially another staff member this year. And uh, that's a really good thing, you know, that, to lose weight. Uh, I went into very strict training back in December, gearing up for January when the Biggest Loser Challenge would begin. I, I trained like crazy. I ate every cookie in sight, ate as much as I could to gain as much as I could uh, to have more to lose. I'm a little competitive, to say the least. And, uh, but I, I've been spending a lot of time uh, trying to learn more about dieting and, and eating better and, and exercising, things like this. I found, uh, knowing that we're doing this Biggest Loser Challenge, I found this on Online, a diet for losers, and, and I, I, I assume this is going to be helpful, so I, I wanted to share it with you, uh, and maybe it will be for you. Uh, it goes kind of like this. For breakfast, you start off with a half grape, grapefruit, um, one slice of whole wheat toast, no, no butter on that, and uh, just a, a small amount, eight ounces of, of skim milk to go with that. Uh, then for lunch, have four ounces of lean broiled chicken breast, uh, one cup of steamed broccoli, okay? Uh, one Oreo cookie to go with that. So that's good, right? And, and then uh, for mid and afternoon snack, and this is where I, I really like it because it gets really good here. Um, from there, it, it goes up uh, at the mid-afternoon point. You eat the rest of the package of Oreos. Um, and, and to help wash that down, you, you also consume one quart of Rocky Road ice cream and one jar of hot fudge, from there, you get to dinner, and uh, this diet calls for two loaves of garlic bread, a large pepperoni and mushroom pizza, a large pitcher of root beer, uh, two Snicker bars, and an entire frozen cheesecake eaten directly from the freezer. Although I would save that probably till about midnight. I think that's when those, the freezer snacks are best to consume. Um, there's also diet tips that go with this that might be helpful. Um, if no one sees you eat it, there are no calories. And I never knew that. Um, this is helpful. Um, if you drink a diet soda with a candy bar, they actually cancel each other out. Um, though I recently saw some studies on that that may not, may not be true. Um, there's another one here that um, food used for medicinal purposes uh, also has no calorie count, such as hot chocolate, uh, macaroni and cheese, which is a great comfort food, and uh, that cheesecake we mentioned straight out of the freezer because you don't actually put it into a, on, a, on a plate so it has no calorie contact. Um, and there's another word of advice here. If you fatten up everyone around you, you will appear thinner. That is helpful. Um, and this is one I've always thought was true as well, that movie-related foods don't count because they are simply part of the entire entertainment experience and therefore not part of anyone's personal fuel. So eat that buttered popcorn at the movie theater. Don't worry about it. And finally, which I've always thought might be true too, is cookie pieces contain no calories. 
the reason is the process of breakage causes calorie leakage. So you heard it here first, but man, this, is, this must be true because it's on the internet, right? Um, I mean, seriously, can you imagine if we approached not only dieting that way, but what if you approached spiritual dieting that way? Where we approached our spiritual life and we said, ah, if nobody's looking, it really doesn't matter what I do. Or as long as it's okay or socially acceptable or it's part of the entertainment experience, therefore it doesn't matter if I watch it or engage in it because after all, well, there's that old adage, everyone's doing it anyway. And at least I go to church at an LCMS congregation on weekends. Or, or maybe we, we say to ourselves, well, you know what? Does it really, really matter if I feel this strongly about this? And it makes me feel good. Therefore, God wants me to be happy. And therefore, it's got to be fine. I've heard, even heard it said Sometimes in my own mind, right? You've done this, oh, that passage, oh yeah, that's right. All things work for the good of those who love God, who've been called according to his purpose, and God knows all things, and he knows I'm in this situation, therefore, if I sin, it must be his will. Wow, those are some theological, scriptural gymnastics, huh? Kind of reminds me of how Satan was throwing out God's word in the temptation of Jesus today. You know, can you imagine if we lived that way? We would just start explaining habits and sinful tendencies away. Reality is we don't really have to imagine, do we? Because we live it. We do it every day. It's part of our routine. We, we try to just chalk up reasons why this is acceptable or, or we just continue to, to buck up against temptation and we wonder, why do we struggle this way? But the funny thing is, is we keep maneuvering our life to be in places where we are tempted in those ways that we fail. Well, go figure. Temptation is a big deal and falling into temptation is a big deal. Now, to understand this and put it in perspective, I want to open Scripture with you today. We're going to turn first to James chapter 1. I want to put this up here. Because put this in context of temptation. Uh, when tempted, James says, no one should say, God is tempting me. So that kind of takes that excuse away, saying, well, God put me in this context uh, to test me and tempt me. Well, does God allow all things? Yes. But a lot of times it's our own, as we're going to find out, selfish nature uh, that puts us in those places in the first place. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And, and some of you might already be thinking, wait a minute. I thought Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and it says there God can't be tempted. How's that work? Well, this is about Jesus coming in the flesh, the incarnation in this broken world, coming to be our Savior and, and not coming with a suit of armor, being isolated from reality. No, Jesus according to his, 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 his human nature, would also face temptation. We'll get more to that in a minute. Um, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person, here it is, is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. You see that? But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Now before I read further, is it a sin to be tempted? This is an important clarification. Is it a sin to be tempted? 
Well, if it's a sin to be tempted, then Jesus sinned because he was tempted. No, see, the evil one has a target out on you. There's a, there's a target on your back. When you were born, you, you had a target on your back as a human being. And, and, and you know what? When you become a baptized child of God like Jack was this morning, that target gets a little bigger because we are now one of God's and, and the evil one would love to take us down. And, and as that as we grow in years, I believe that target gets bigger and bigger and confirmation, the target gets a little bigger when we get out there and sharing our faith, that target gets larger and larger, you get married and that target gets huge because now it's not just you, it's your spouse that bears that target together and that target and you have a family and that target gets larger. The evil one is at work and he's in the business of tempting, trying to take us down. The actual reality of being tempted is not a sin. It's what we do with it. And that's kind of an important clarification because I think sometimes Satan warps that. And when he's tempting us, he gets us to think because we feel tempted, therefore, we are, well, I feel tempted, therefore I must have already sinned. Well, hang on. Um, but he does go on to say, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to Sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I've always thought it interesting uh, how the writer of James, James, has, brother of Jesus most likely, has chosen words that are about life, conception, and birth. And what is interesting here is the result of that conception and that birth is death. And he's making a very dramatic point in this. The temptation, and when we give into it, it, and our desires give into it, it, it conceives and ultimately gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. Um, clearly, this is kind of important. We learn about this, right? And um, some time ago, I shared an example of this. I learned as a kid, or I remember it vividly because it, it just was so graphic in my memory of hearing a story about how Alaskan Eskimos hunt wolves, um, and, and the way they do it is, it's actually pretty easy. They take a, a sharp razor, sharp blade, they, they dip it in, in blood, uh, they put it out to freeze, then they dip it in blood again, they put it out to freeze, they do this over and over again until it forms basically a blood popsicle, and then they put the blood popsicle out in the snow, firmly planted in the ground, and then they just simply wait. And it doesn't take long because wolves have this keen sense of smell. They're hungry and they can smell the blood and they come from miles around and a wolf will start licking at that popsicle and as the blood melts in its mouth, it tastes really good and it just only satisfies more and more and the wolf says, this is good. This is, oh, this is awesome. This is really good. And, and the more it, it works away at that popsicle, what it doesn't realize is that taste of blood is now its own blood when that blade is having its effect on that wolf until it bleeds to death. And if that isn't a vivid illustration of how temptation, that desire gives into temptation that leads to sin, that leads to death, I don't know what is. And we've lived it. When we convince ourselves, oh, you know what, that, that person at work, oh, he or she, she's just, they're so nice. And you know what? 
I'm not talking to my spouse at home anywhere. At least they pay attention to me. And so we start that conversation. And pretty soon those conversations move to very personal things and, and putting yourself in compromising places. Or, or, or maybe it's, you know, everybody cheats on their taxes after all. And we say, look, what's the big deal anyway? The government has enough money. And, or, or we say, oh, man, I... Uh, What's the, really, what's the big deal if I say that? It just feels so good. It's true about what that person did. What's the big deal if I just share it? You know, like, you know what I heard about them? And, and gossip starts to flow freely. Or, or we say to ourselves, you know what? I really like this show. This is interesting. I'm learning about our culture by watching this show. And, and meanwhile, your thoughts are turning to lust. Or as the, our men learned at the men's breakfast, just again, the, the, the rampant rate of pornography usage, not only now among men, but now even among women, and it's everywhere. It is taking over our culture, and uh, and the swimsuit issue of Sports Illustrated just came out because that's a sports magazine, so it's okay. Are you kidding me? What's going on? We're surrounded by it. And and, and what does our diet consist of anymore, and and what what kind of excuses have we been making? When our God reminds us, temptation, when desire gives way to it, conceives and it gives birth to sin and sin to death. Well, God's word goes on and, and there's more we can learn about temptation in this that takes us out to the, to the wilderness eventually. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 10. When you face temptation, a lot of times what the evil one will do is he'll convince us we are the only one in the entire world struggling in this way, and that isolation only breeds more despair, and more despair often leads us to fall into more temptation and more sin and get into this pattern. But I love what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Uh, Let's read this together. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You know what this verse actually gets rid of any idea of saying, you know what, this temptation is so bad, there's no way I can't, can't resist it, therefore I'm just going to sin because it's impossible. If I don't, I'm going to die. No, you're not. First of all, you're not alone in the temptation. Secondly is... God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And even when you feel you are, he will provide a way out. What is that way out, do you think? One of the great moments in the gospel reading today from Matthew where Jesus is out in the wilderness being tempted by Satan is how does Jesus resist the temptation? What is the tool that he uses? Speak it out. God's word, right? And and it's, I think it's profound and yet so simple to realize that uh, Almighty God who comes in the flesh as the God-man Savior of this world who is tempted in the wilderness, what is the tool that he used to resist temptation? It's something that only God can use? No. <laughs> it's something that he has made available to us, readily available more in our day than ever before is simply spending time in God's word, growing in God's word, even memorizing God's word so it becomes part of our life, that it's part of 
really that, that artillery to, to face uh, the thwarts and, and the attacks of the evil one. God's word has power because God is present in his word. The way out, Paul says. You know, sometimes Satan will convince us because we've fallen into temptation, into sin, and, and we are overwhelmed with guilt and shame. And so one of the other attacks he'll send our way is, you know what? You are unlovable. God would never, ever consider you someone who could be loved or saved. And so don't waste your time with God's word. There's no point in doing that. You're not going to learn anything. You're not going to grow closer to him because he wants you far away from him. You, you see the lies that continue. And yet we spend time in God's word and guess what starts to happen? Uh, the powerful voice of the evil one starts to subside more and more because the stronger voice and the influence in our life becomes God's presence more than just an hour on Sunday. But we're spending time in his life-giving, strengthening, faith-giving word that also gives us strength during the week. You know, Jesus once took his disciples and, and it's interesting to me, as they went out, as he said, we're going to go out to the garden. And that night, just moments before he would be arrested and betrayed, he took them to a garden. And, and, and here's what he told them. Let's read this later in Matthew's gospel. Matthew 26, 41. Jesus told them, he said, watch and, what did it say? Pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Here's another tool Jesus gives his disciples. That prayer, time in prayer, we meditate on God's word as they were with the living word in his presence. They'd been spending time hearing him teach. They'd received the Lord's Supper in the upper room and now they'd gone out to the garden and Jesus says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. They'd all just said, we'll die for you, Jesus. There's no way we would deny you, Jesus. And yet he knew that they would. In fact, moments later, they would run in fear for their lives. Peter in the courtyard would deny that Jesus was even anyone he ever met before. And as Jesus in Luke's gospel turns and looks at Peter, we're going to see that in a few weeks. But man, often we fail, don't we? And I actually find comfort in knowing Jesus not only told them that, but he admitted, he says, your flesh is weak. And you'd say, okay, well, if God is really who God you'd think he is, he would just then point this out to them and, and the fact that they failed, they'd never have a second chance. They're done. God would push them aside and yet God's compassion would lead him a different way. I love what Hebrews says about the incredible compassion of our God. Hebrews 4, for we do not have a high priest, you know, the high priest office of Christ, the one who comes is the one who lays down the sacrifice and not just offering a sacrifice. He becomes a sacrifice as the great high priest, even the, the lamb who is slain for us, who is unable, not at all, to, unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. That he did not sin. You see, what's going to be important in this Lenten journey is to realize our Savior comes into this broken world and he faces the brokenness in our place, yet he does so with righteousness. 
the one who is a perfect lamb without blemish or defect, the one who had laid down his life for us, yet without sin. And he becomes that true substitute that makes it all work for you and me. Because we do fail. And we do give him the temptation. And we do struggle. And we overwhelmed at times. We say, Lord, how could you love me? And he says, I do. And I'm willing to face it for you. So that we would know we don't have a God who doesn't empathize with our brokenness today. But a God who knows it and has endured it in our place. Earlier in Hebrews, he says this in chapter 2. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is also able to help those who are being tempted. To know you're not alone today in temptation. To know you're not alone in that struggle Because our God has come near. And not only become that substitute to die in your place and rise again to give life and new life to you and forgiveness today, but also along the journey of our spiritual walk with him to be reminded we are not alone. Here he is. He's there to help us today. As we spend time in his word, as we spend time in worship, as we celebrate his presence of his spirit in our lives, knowing we are not our own. We are bought at a price Therefore, we honor God with our bodies and our lives and our time and all that we are. And once in a while, we eat a cookie. And it's okay to eat a cookie. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your presence is with us. And we ask you that in these Lenten days, we would take an honest look at what our reality has become where we've been convincing ourselves that patterns in our lives are fine and okay just because they fit in with our culture. Where we've decided, Lord, that that it's inconvenient to turn from our sin. We ask that your spirit would have its effect in us and turn our hearts in repentance. And that, Lord, you'd open our eyes to the temptation, to the tactics of the evil one to build up families and relationships and marriages, Lord, to restore spiritual walks with you and to do so, Lord, through your presence, through worship, through your word, through the sacrament, Lord, through, through time with other brothers and sisters where we find encouragement all found in your amazing compassion for us as one who has been tempted in every way yet without sin. Your victory, Lord, is our victory today. And the name we bear is your name. As treasured children of God, we've been crucified with Christ and we no longer live, but you live in us. In the life we live in the body, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave his life for us. Lord, thank you for that defining presence today. In Jesus' name, amen.